Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 312 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we revisited our second brain projects and shared our progress, learnings, and challenges as we near the publication of the new Work From Home edition of our Collaboration Tools and Technologies book. In this episode, we wanted to turn to a foundational technology topic, decision trees and decision tree tools. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be hiking into the forest of decision trees, see how long this metaphor holds up, uh, and showing how valuable they can be. In the second segment, we're going to return to our Hot or Not segment and reconsider. Will we? Is it really reconsidering the Apple Watch? We'll talk about that in a minute. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, decision trees, um, a fundamental technology building block, uh, as Dennis mentioned. To some extent, we have covered decision trees, the technology used to create them in many of our podcasts, although probably not in those terms. Um, so we thought we'd take a step back and talk about the fundamentals of decision trees and how to think about using them and, and then maybe kind of what the, what the future is looking like for decision trees. So, Dennis, let's start out with a basic question. What do we mean when we say decision trees? And, and I think you're right, Tom. We wanted to go really simple here. Um, and so although we'll kind of you know, show you some app, or at least talk about some applications, some of the things we've been doing. This is meant to be really basic. And in a certain sense, these are almost like pen and pencil uh, technology tools uh, to help you get going. But I, I like to think of it in terms of two words, if and then. Um, and this is decision trees are about, we were looking at something and we're asking a set of questions. And if the answer is, uh, let's say yes, then something else happens, either a next step or there's output. Um, and, and we kind of fork off from that. If the answer is no, we go in a different direction and everything kind of flows from there. So we're trying to understand the logic of what's happening there. But in in my feeling, it all this comes down to if then and mapping out uh, what that either decision, typically a decision making process or moving us through as a, you know, a framework where decisions lead us to, to certain results. So that's how I think about it. Tom, I'm guessing you probably have like a more standard definition uh, than my sort of loosey goosey one. I do sort of. I mean, my my standard, um, I guess, Wikipedia-ish definition of it would be the decision tree is a support tool that uses a tree-like model to display decisions and their possible consequences. And so uh, when I think about a decision tree, um, I think about a flowchart. Uh, I think about, uh, but and, and, and on that flowchart, each block, each node of the flowchart um, represents a test. And that that test 
the branches off of the test represent all the possible outcomes of that test. So is this matter a fixed fee or is it time and materials or is it value billing? And those, it, that leads you then to different ways to measure how you're going to get paid or what the value of that p- potential uh, matter might be worth. To a certain extent, that's about as far as I get. And my work with and understanding of decision trees is really that elementary. We work on them all the time with clients um, building out business process and the way that they are going to do certain information governance processes or, or frankly, legal hole processes. That's why I develop lots of e-discovery workflows using decision trees. Um, but uh, and I think we're going to maybe get into this a little bit more, at least when we start talking about some of the tools. Um, a lot of the things I read in line, uh, online start to get into math and calculations and numbers, especially when you're doing decisions about dollars uh, and, and you know how much the value of a case is. Um, and we start looking at percentages and uh, all sorts of stuff. And I've got to say that makes this poor liberal arts educated brain um, hurt. It's just painful. So that's why, to me, I really think of a simple way to look at decision tools. So I'm going to look, look to you to kind of carry the carry the burden of, of what more complicated decision tree technology looks like. Well, I think you're right. I, I consider this really foundational. And sort of once you figure out that, you know, you, there's if something happens, then there's the result, then you can kind of bring in the math a little bit bit by saying, you know, if you're using a numerical thing, you could say, oh, if there's a 60% chance of this happening, then it goes this way. If it's like a different percent and you can, you can start to build some things in and some probabilities and other things, but we're not going that direction for this, this podcast. We're just saying like, what, what is out there that we can use decision trees for um, to help us understand the technology that we use and the processes that we use. And then then maybe once we get that understanding, can we do something with that that's, that's valuable to us? And typically that comes in the form of automation. So I think that we're looking for something where we understand a process well enough that we can automate it. And I think that you're right, Tom, the, 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 Key when I think of decision trees, I think of flowcharts, and um, that's where it starts from. And say, well, we we have this process, and we we map it out in in flowcharts, and then we're able to 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 really uh, you know automate what we're doing because it just becomes a simple uh, you know switching process where we say, okay, this answer leads to these results, this answer leads to these other results. So that's the that's the flow part of it. But I think there's also this other part that's also super interesting to me is that to to figure out what the flow is going to be in the charts that you need to do, um, I think in terms of process mapping. So we actually really need to know what the process is and what those those questions are because we can't really create flow charts out of thin air. So we kind of need to understand what the actual process is. And there's something, a tool called process maps that will help you kind of sketch out what's really happening in, in, in that process. And we can kind of dive into that, but, but I think there is that sort of 
two-directional approach uh, to decision trees. And sometimes we just think of the flowchart side. Well, but let me ask this. So let me kind of give an example about why I think that some of this can get complicated. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, but as as a means to me not understanding. So I've been meaning to look at this. I just haven't looked at it for a while, but I know that you included it in our outline for the things we're going to talk about. And that is our good law practice division friends, uh, Mark Lauritsen's, choice boxer tool. And he has been um, a a proponent of a concept called choice boxing, which is another type of decision-making tool. But to me, if some of the more complicated number and math-based flowchart decision trees are complicated, then this is like ninja guru 3D chess decision-making because I I can't even begin to understand. It's just way too complicated for me. And I feel like um, there are good uses for this um, and there are good times for this, but I want you to explain to the listeners why somebody like me would, would look at that and go, oh, holy crap, I just can't, I can't understand it. I go back to my simple flowchart and feel more comforted by something less involved than what I see with choice boxing. Yeah, so I, I think with Choice Boxer, what you're bringing in is collaboration, and you're you're saying there are multiple factors that get considered. So you'd say, I'm looking at, say, I'm considering you know half a dozen case management tools, and I decide that certain things, you know, certain features are important to me, and. I want to rank those things and maybe I'll say, you know, like this is a, an eight out of 10, this is a four out of 10. And then you say like, whoa. Uh, and so we can we can flow chart that out easily. And you can even do it in a spreadsheet and, and figure out which one scores the highest. And then you can kind of, you know, uh, examine how the scoring works and how the ranking works and change that a little bit. Well, something like Choice Boxer, you're going to a 3D level where you're saying, okay, so there are actually four of us who have decision making input on this. And so what if we're able to kind of line those up in a 3D box and then then. Uh, use that visualization to say, oh, wait, here's here's where there's agreement on you know, like what, certain sets of features, and here's where uh, we have agreement on what the final thing is. But typically, we're not going to have that final agreement. We, we can sort of say like, oh, wait, um, I was weighing this one way, but now I see what other people are doing it and the way they do it, I understand that more. So it's a visual thing. And it's a, you know, as you say, it's, it's much more complex. It's really interesting, kind of does take Mark to explain it, but it's like all, I think like all decision trees, process mapping, flowcharts, you have this problem that you're trying to solve. And if you're just theoretical about this, then you're, you know, it's like you said, I, if you see math, you go, and you're just like, it's theoretical. You're like, I, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to learn that. But if you say, I have this specific problem and I want to assess certain weights to different tools or, you know, different decisions and I want other things to happen and certain triggers and there, it's a, it's a number that triggers that. Say if you're trying to, you know, figure out what billing should be or something, then, then the math just becomes part of the the flow and it will start to make sense. Uh, so I, that's why I keep going, you know, just back to the simple and saying, uh, like, how can I, how can I map this? And, uh, and to me, that starts with, uh, you know, learning the process really completely. 
Well, and and I just to wrap it up, I, I'm going to include a link in the show notes to an introduction on choice boxing by Mark Lauritsen. So read it. But literally, Dennis, everything you just said, I did not understand about choice boxing. It made no sense to me, and that's to me. That's no shame on me, and no no, no slam on choice boxing. It's just not for me. So it's a was well, a visual tool, and and I think that and if you have a specific problem and you see it visually. And it's a it's a problem that matters to you. You'll say, "Oh, I can see how this might work," or you'd say, "Like, now nah, this really doesn't work for me." To me, the decision tree that we're talking about—that's more of the simple workflow—is a visual tool that resonates with me. So let's stick with that, and let's right. talk about those here and about how we might use decision trees. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I I go back to this thing that as I've looked at you know, productizing legal services. Um, I think it all starts with decision trees. And the one thing I learned, uh, especially from uh, a project that I helped out on a little bit, at least at the, the early stage of a uh, an expungement service, sort of making that easier for people, is that what I realized is that in order to do these decision trees, you really have to learn the process completely and probably better than anybody else, um, especially as the processes get more complicated. And so I, I think that that's one thing. So how do I map out to say, what is this process and where does decisions get made? Because if you miss some of these things, then then what you're going to build off the decision trees won't work because you've, you've missed key points. And so that's why I say there's this sort of process mapping piece. And then uh, we kind of reverse that and turn it in, into a flow chart. So, so I don't know. To me, that's, that's sort of how I think about time. I don't know whether that works for you or not. Or you some, have some other thoughts on that? No, that totally works. And, and frankly, not just the, what you're talking about, but we've talked about so many different apps and things on this podcast over time that that are decision tree tools because they rely on things like guided interviews or series of questions. I mean, when we did the whole episode on document assembly, document assembly tools to a certain extent are decision tree tools because they require you to put some input in and they give output as part of that. Where I start to and, and where I, where where I start to lose it is that is is what kind of input you need in order to get output like a score. I get it with an expungement or a document assembly where you put input and you get a document back or you get a set of instructions on what to do. That makes sense to me. Those are things that I think you can work through that process very easily. But getting to a point where you're getting, you know, something more complicated like scoring or things like that, that becomes a little bit more outside of my comfort zone. Right. And I think that, you know, you, you sort of, and I'll go back to this, I'll come back to this in a second here, but I think that um, as you map things out and you do these flow charts and you do decision trees, what I found and from the first time I ever did document automation was that it forces you to be really critical of the existing processes or even the logic flow within a document and to simplify. And so when you're starting with this stuff, what I think is important is find these extraneous things where you're going like, why are we asking this? Or why are we asking the same question over and over again? Why are we asking for input You know, on uh, whether it's a he or a she or a they, and why are we asking that question like 
five times when obviously we only need to, to ask it once. And so um, although I do think you have to understand processes really well and really thoroughly, I also think you want to be critical and to simplify where you can. And there is a certain sense especially when you're starting out of the the 80 20 rule and we've you know so i think you don't want to say like oh what i want to do is i want to create TurboTax with decision trees and that's going to be my first project no like your first project should be like here's something that requires six questions to do for me to get answers to six questions and it generates like a simple letter or a simple form you know fills out a form and so I think there's this 80-20 uh, rule that, that comes into play and that, you know, so this kind of process just keeps working to say, do I understand this? And then can I simplify it? Is there extraneous stuff in my decision tree? Well, no, all of that makes perfect sense to me. So I'm in agreement, in general agreement about all of that. Um, so maybe... Maybe with that, with those concepts in mind, maybe we talk about some of the tools that you might use to put those processes into play. Um, and so when I think about tools, I am generally going to start with an electronic tool. I know, Dennis, you may use something um, even more simple than that, but I usually am going to start with an electronic tool because... When I write, it just gets too messy, and I'd rather be able to redo things um, electronically than otherwise. And so, you know, for me, um, I, I've, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I am a basics kind of person, and using a tool like Microsoft Visio to me is one of the easiest, simple ways to create a process diagram. And um, it's it's infinitely forgivable, and it's got all of the different. It can be as complicated you as you want, or as simple as you want. And I create really basic uh, decision trees or process flows on there. Um, the other tool that I would consider using, if uh, if it ever, if I didn't use something like Visio, would be something like MindMeister. You know, some of the mind mapping tools have the same general functionality it's not quite the same but it is tree-like in its in the way that you can organize things so you can put thoughts into a tool like MindMeister and uh, and get to the same result um, there are some other what I would call easy tools that that actually offer what they call decision tree creation I haven't tried these but I'm just going to offer some put them in the show notes um, there are things tools like one, one is called Vengage. One is called GitMind. I think we may have talked about Lucidchart on this podcast before. Um, Miro, we've talked about, I know, has its own decision tree maker in there. So a lot of some of these tools um, have decision tree makers where you can create things that I think, frankly, are probably even more simple than Microsoft Visio because they they do a lot of the heavy lifting for you and, uh, and, and Visio is a little bit more do-it-yourself. But those are the, generally the tools that I would think of if I was going to create some decision tree. Dennis, where, what directions do you go in? I'm going simple and primitive almost. To me, this is really mental work. And so I want to be thinking about what I'm doing 
you know, the process, the decision tree, what the flow is, those sorts of things. And I don't want to be thinking about how to use the tool and whether things look right. And so I might start with mind maps. No surprise to anybody who's listened to the show because I start almost everything with mind maps. But I sort of played around with different tools. Um, and you could, I tried Excel charts in, in Excel. I tried charts in PowerPoint. I tried charts in, in Word. None of them really worked. The, the problem with Visio, which I would would have liked to try, was that I don't have a a, a version of uh, Microsoft 365 that that has that available, and and I had Adobe Illustrator, and you know, and so I had a, a number of tools, and I just realized that I was, you, you know, instead of working on what I wanted to do, I was trying to learn, you know, how to use these different tools. So I have paper, pencil, and I bought this, you know, flowchart you know, plastic flowchart template thing with like the circles and the diamonds and the rectangles that I use as a template to make those things. And then I just, you know, and it has a, you know, it has a straight edge on it and I, I connect things together and then I do that. And then I may put it into, you know, into another place. But when I'm trying to get this stuff down and try to understand these things, I want like the, I want things to go from my uh, you know, from my brain to where I'm, you know, recording it or writing it down without the step of saying, how do I use this tool? That said, if I used a tool, if I did this on a daily basis and I used a tool on a daily basis like Visio, I would probably be in there. Uh, so I think that's part of it is like, how often do you really do this? And do you need a tool? Because for the most part, I think, uh, for most of us and most listeners that probably the, you know, pencil and paper, uh, if you're really, you know, confident in what you do, you can do pen and paper. I'm a pencil and paper person, but that's, that's sort of how I took it, you know, how I do it. So it's very simple, very primitive and, you know, nice paper and a nice mechanical pencil. And I'm on my, on my way. While you've been talking, I've been searching, and I've been realizing that actually, I'm, I I think I believe that these days now you have um, access to free online Visio with your Microsoft 365 account. I agree. That's that's one of the challenges from Visio is that it has previously been a standalone software product, but. Recently, um, Microsoft offered it the online version for free, and I'm able to access it in my account right now. It's not the app. You can't use the app. You're using a, an online version, um, which I guess is why it's free. But it's there. So those of you who do want to look at that as a, as a possibility, um, you do have it free if you have an M365 account. Should, should. Yeah, and I think that's when you're at the presentation. So there's a sort of working thing for yourself. Correct. And if you need to present it to somebody else, then I think you definitely want to convert to a to a presentation yeah, tool. I agree. It's a later it's a later phase at that point. So let's let's go step beyond that. So so we've got a process flow. I, I think that there are you know if you want to have actual output and do something, that's when you may look at other more advanced tools. And do you, Dennis, do you want to kind of kick that off and talk about those a little? You're you're engaged in them a whole lot more than I am. Yeah. So uh, and I think that 
legal products in, and uh, legal applications these days are essentially decision tree tools. They're almost like the perfect example of it. So you have guided interview tools, you know, you have stuff like, you know, TurboTax, great example. You're asking people to answer a set of questions or, you know, uh, to provide, uh, you know, data, say name, whatever, those sorts of things, make choices, uh, you know, give scores to things, stuff like that. And then, uh, and then you're using it uh, on the basis of, of that to create some output. And typically the output is going to be a document, it's going to be a score, it could be a chart, it could be a form that's filled out and ready to move on to somebody to sign, any number of things. Those, that's the classic world of productization um, in, the, in the legal world. And I think the, the uh, decision trees get you to that. And so, um, so and, and then you also want to consider the input side of it, uh, which is also becoming really interesting. So that's where you start to see chatbots and how you format questions and, you know, how simple you make things on the screen that, that, uh, that people are answering, who answers it, that sort of thing. So I sort of look at that you have this, your input and interface um, that you need to think about. You have this sort of decision tree uh, comes next. It's the logic of how this works. And then you have the the output at the end. And um, so it's sort of like the customer facing or the user facing stuff is the input and the output. Um, but what you're looking to do with the decision tree is get that core logic correct so that you have the confidence that you do when you're using stuff like TurboTax that you're you're actually getting your tax return um, done correctly. So that's how I think of how we use these these tools because uh, they they really affect the the uh, that sort of core logic and and flow of of your application. So you took a step back from my question, which my question was, what are the what are the tools that can get you to that application? Because you've you've described all the output, uh, all of the output of of the exercise that you've done, but you can't use Visio or or Miro or any of these other tools that we talked about. And that by the end of that, you've got an app. And so there are other tools that are out there now that can take that process flow, that can take that decision tree and turn it into an app now. And that was really what my question was is, tell me, let's talk about some of those tools. Uh, and then we're going to have to wrap this session up because we're going a little bit long. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think if, if people go back to our productization episode in, uh, in particular, we talked about this, but uh, you're basically looking at one of the document automation tools. Um and that can be something like after pattern. Uh, it uh, can be there's there's stuff like Loya. There's uh, the one that I've I've experimented with. It's called Brighter B R Y T E R, which is one of the more complex and more expensive ones. And I'm using that uh, you know through Michigan State Law School in the work I do there. And those are the tools where you say now that I have these decision trees, I can. I can put them into these programs and they'll design, you know, they'll uh, let me put together this application that, uh, you know, allows the user to answer the questions. I put the logic in and it will create this output. 
So those are the tools. These days, I used to be called document uh, assembly. Now it's almost always called document automation. There are a number of tools out there. Um, there's been some consolidation in that market, uh, but there are a lot of tools out there. So they all do similar things. And so it's good to experiment with one um, and, and see what it works. So some are definitely geared to producing documents and others give you more options. I like brighter because the focus is on the actual uh, logic flow and it gives you more options on what the output can be. It's, you know, like I said, it's, uh, it's not what you do probably use in your spare time or anything like that. It's more, uh, it's a, it's a higher powered tool, but I would look at something like after pattern would probably be the, the one that I would probably start with if I were doing this. Hot docs is another, you know, has long been a name in this category. Okay, we are running way short on time, way long on this segment. So give give uh, your best tips and recommendations on how to get started. Well, I think that this is another case where you can really get yourself jammed up by trying to pick the perfect tool. I think you just need to pick something. You need to pick simple projects. You need to, if you're doing document automation, you need to think in terms of blocks of text. Um, that relate to the uh, the questions that get answered and not just like, you know, words. Um, and to, to simplify, simplify, simplify your projects. To start with something easy. Like I, I would, when I first did the estate planning uh, documented automation, I started with durable powers of attorney because there were very few variables in them and they were very standard. Then I moved up to wills and trust agreements. And so I think I think those are some of the things. And then, you know, I think it's fine to, like, I think this is like about five bucks, this Helix uh, geometry template I got and, you know, like a pencil and paper and, and you, can, you can start rolling. But basically find that simple problem that probably has half a dozen steps to it. And then, and, then you'll you'll start you'll start mapping it, but you're basically looking you know like simple forms that get filled out, things like that, and those are the best places to start. And with that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures— all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. 
Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We're getting back to the hot or not format this episode. We pick a topic and take its temperature on the hot or not scale. We might agree, but we might not, and that's what makes this fun. I've been thinking about the Apple Watch lately, just to kind of tweak time a bit, and I've also been seeing a lot of them on a lot of wrists. Uh, So, Tom, the Apple Watch, hot or not? Um, Well, Dennis, I'm glad you finally caught up to the rest of the world on this because the Apple Watch has been hot since it debuted in, what was it, 2015? You know, they sold 8 million watches that year. They more than doubled it three years later to 22 million. And now in 2022, they've, or 2021, they've more than doubled that again to 46 million. So the Apple Watch is definitely hot. And so glad that you're finally now seeing uh, watches on wrist because frankly, when I see watches now, all I ever see, not just now, but it's been for years now, have been Apple Watch. But frankly, that's as far as I'm going to be able to take this, Dennis, because like all Apple products, you can only use the Apple Watch with other Apple products. Unlike Windows and Android, which all play well together, if I wanted to use an Apple Watch, I would need to buy an iPhone, which is not going to happen anytime soon. So I despair over the wall garden that Apple has created, but I've got to admit it is the best smart watch out there. There's no question because I do have a Samsung Galaxy Watch 4. I'm using it. I like it. It's great. It still doesn't have all of the features um, that that the the Apple Watch has. Um, I'm looking forward. Google is going to be putting out a Pixel Watch later this year, and I'm looking forward to trying that because it works with the Android phone. Um, But frankly, I think none of them can hold a a candle to the Apple Watch just for its sheer breadth of features. And, and, And now I think that it's really trying to make a play for the best health wearable. It, it measures sleep, it measures O2 levels, it measures heart health, it can even track fertility and other related cycles. You know, every time I start a ride on my Peloton bike, a little message pops up asking me to connect my Apple Watch for a better experience. And of course, I have to say no, which makes me a little sad before my, my rides start. So I repeat, Dennis, the Apple Watch is hot. Yes. Do you want to share with us the specific reason you wanted to talk about the Apple Watch this episode? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it actually it feels like it is hot has become hotter, and your your numbers kind of bear out w- what what I'm seeing. And and the other comment you made was if you go back to when I bought the f- you know first gen uh, Apple Watch was I said I'm I'm sort of buying the ecosystem, you know, and I know the watch will keep improving 
And that's that's where I am. So I'm on my second Apple Watch and I love it. And it's like the health things and other things. But I've also found that this whole notion of alerts, reminders um, that we've talked about over time have really become important. It's really nice to see like, oh, here's a phone call and here's who it's from. Or I got a text message or, you know, and I need to deal with it or I don't. And even in a pinch, you can answer, you know, I answer phone calls on my watch. Um, so I've really come to rely on it. I, I would say the one thing I noticed uh, for myself, uh, I guess, I guess two things. So one is I don't see people using it for payments as much as I thought I would would see it, because I think that is a truly great uh, uh, customer experience, uh, you know, to pay, pay by watch. Um, so so that's one thing. The other thing is I find that I use it and think of it less and less of a watch. You know, I kind of joke about like I'm not a big fan of the time app, you know, because uh, it takes all the screen space on the watch. And so what I found is I used to go to a sim very simple interface that was more like a watch interface with hands. Now I've gone to digital to sort of like minimize the what the amount of space the time takes and I have more information that's on the watch screen, you know, about, uh, you know, the health related things uh, and, uh, you know, timers, other things like that. Um, and I find it more useful. So, so I think it is, I think it is really hot and it's because, uh, again, the, the great uh, experience of it um, and the ecosystem that continues to evolve. Um, and I think you're right. It is going to become uh, a very important health appliance over time. Well, I would just say it, it, when, when you describe all the reasons why you're liking your watch, I would say that my Galaxy watch offers all of those exact same features, which I would like it for. And so if it, it sounds to me that the reason why you're liking it so much is not necessarily because it's an Apple Watch, but because we have found something that has become um, the Dick Tracy watch that we were that we finally been able to do everything for and talk to people and it does all sorts of magical things and um, you know the while the Apple Watch has a ton more features than the than than, than the, the the Android watches have um, the fact that you can do these things on your watch that once you could only do on your phone and once you could never do it anywhere um, makes all of these hot to some extent. Yeah, I, I would say a little bit differently. I would say it's not the the sheer number of features; it's the fact that the the ability to personalize the features to what's most important to me, um, and that's the distinction that I would make. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So my parting shot is a little bit related to our initial topic in this podcast. Um, I became acquainted with a new site called Scribe. Um, Scribe is a, uh, a tool for documenting know-how, and it does it in kind of an interesting way, is that uh, if you want to show somebody how to use something on their computer, um, you go in and you will basically just, you, you, it, Scribe is a, a Chrome extension, basically, and you um, press record, and it records all of the things on your screen that you're doing, so showing how to 
do something like how to create a Google Doc or something on your screen, it will record all of that within your browser. But it doesn't just make a recording. It doesn't just record that and show that back. It then takes that recording and it turns it into a written set of procedures. So it will say, move your cursor and click this button. When the next screen comes up, click this button and highlight this. And it, it uses artificial intelligence to really interpret what you're doing and turn it into a, a, a written SOP that also has animated um, support to go with it to see exactly how it's done. I'm in, totally intrigued by this, and I'm thinking about finding ways to use it so we can train people on how to better use Microsoft Teams and SharePoint in our work. Um, it is free to use. There's a free tier to use, so I would recommend go try it out because it's really very cool, um, and then you can uh, purchase the better uh, versions for more features than that. It's called Scribe. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, Tom, this is one of these parting shots where when I saw it in a script and, and checked it out, I, uh, I got an account before we even recorded the show. So um, I think it's super interesting, um, and I can't wait to, to, to play with it. So I decided to go with the, uh, the topic of automation for my parting shot. So David Sparks and Rosemary Orchard uh, do a podcast called Automators, and they just celebrated their hundredth uh, uh, episode and they talked about uh, their favorite automation tools uh, in their first hundred episodes. So it's a great summary of, uh, you know, it's Mac and iOS specific, although some, some of these tools uh, go onto Windows and other platforms. But it's a really good overview, especially in the first half hour of uh, what's out there and some of the things you can do. And if you want to play around with the automation in the Mac world, um, sort of the tools that you would probably want to start with. And so I, I found it really useful. I use some of the, the tools and uh, already, but it's sort of give me a roadmap to the things that I want to try. They go a lot deeper into the topic in the rest of the podcast. So um, I found it really interesting, the whole thing, but you may bail out, you know, at, at some point as they, as they dig deeper. Uh, but uh, definitely if you want an introduction to, to auto, you know, basic automation tools and their uses in the Mac world, this is a great uh, podcast episode to listen to. Yeah, I, I really like the concept of the automators, but it is utterly 1000% useless to me because I'm not in the Mac world. So I, I try to listen to it. And unfortunately, there are things that I just I will never use and can't use because I'm not in that world. So well, Text Expander, though, is... Text Expander is one of the things that I use. That's right. But that is a very small piece of the things that they talk about. Right. Um, that's, it, is, it is... So if you are... If you're not living at least some part in the Mac world or in the iOS world, and they do do iOS things, um, so that's useful for iPad and iPhone, um, uh, then uh, just, just be aware before you start listening to it. Uh, it's, it is definitely better for those of you who have Mac practices. And it will give you reasons to move to, to Macs and, and uh, iOS as well, just from if you're interested in automation. It will give you reasons that not everyone will follow. Anyway. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. 
If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you know where to find us. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, and we love to get voicemails from you. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please write us an Apple podcast, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.